a um, a teaching that I have taught here probably I don't know six or seven times over the years uh, it's one of those oldies but goodies if you will and it's uh, something that we have to often be reminded of and so um, if you will let's go to Luke chapter 9 verse 23 Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Hallelujah. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Um, Many people often desire to be in leadership and they do not understand that no matter what it is if it's leadership in your home if it's leadership in your business if it's leadership in the church um, it, it really doesn't matter where there are certain principles that are absolutely important uh, they are imperative that you understand as you are building things or as, as you are uh, working towards the levels of success that God has called you to. How many of you know that there is no possible way that whatever the vision is that God has for your life, that you are going to accomplish it by yourself? Amen. It's just not possible. Uh, the truth of the matter is, if you can accomplish the dream by yourself, it is not a God-sized dream. Uh, and truthfully, if when you begin to realize what God has called you to, if it is not intimidating to you, it is likely insulting to him. <laughs> so <clears throat> when we begin to see some things that Jesus starts to teach us about his leadership, uh, you will see three cores that will begin to emerge. Um, let's go to John chapter 6, verse 61. John chapter 6 verse 61 it says but Jesus knowing within himself that his disciples were complaining and protesting and grumbling about it said to them is this a stumbling block and an offense unto you does this upset you let's let's actually go back to show me verse 58 Uh, 56 and 54. Let's go back to 50. <laughs> we'll find it. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. 
He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doeth this offend you? And what if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up from where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profit nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are uh, life. Keep going. But there were some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning that they were not the, uh, that believed not, so who should betray him? <clears throat> and he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man could come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back, and they followed him no more. Jesus obviously is trying to teach them something. And he's saying that there is the spirit and then there is the word. He goes, and you're mixing this conversation. In other words, I'm telling you something that is spiritual and you are not discerning what it is that I'm sharing with you. And they kind of got offended. And we know there was 70 uh, initially and they ended up with 12 left over which means that 58 of them walked away and it says they walked with him no more or it says they followed him no more. And the 58 is the outer core of people that when you have uh, volunteers, if you will, these, these are people who are associated with your organization they are associated with the church they are associated with the business and they function more like a volunteer they function more like people who when the you know if quitting times at five o'clock 501 they're already in their car and gone and you begin to wonder if quitting times at five how did you get in your car <laughs> by 501 these are people that are not vested. They don't really care. They're not, they're not that interested. They're, a lot of times they're hedging their bets. They're just trying to uh, make sure that they make it into heaven, but they have no real interest in what's going on. And so the moment that Jesus shared something with them uh, that really was important and they needed to understand, he was giving them answers. And of course, because they didn't want to hear it, uh, they didn't care. They, they, they literally walked away from the master. And so when you have the outer core of people, the outer core of people, they're, they're just not that vested. Everything they hear is filtered through themselves. So when you say, hey, we need to do this or we need to put this together, they, they are more in tune with what they need, what they are thinking, what they desire, and they hear everything through the uh, scope of that. They don't have a interest. There's a lack of participation yes, that comes. You have a church event and certain people just never show up. They're just not interested. And they're the outer core. 
Now, uh, what, the reason why this becomes important is because those of you that are leading different ministries, those of you that are involved in ministries, when you see certain people that just don't participate or show up, then that tells you they're the type of people that are easily offended. And you have to be real, you, you've kind of got to be on eggshells, if you will, around those type of people. You've got to handle them with kid gloves. Now, it's not that they're bad. We need all of the people, but sometimes they haven't gotten to the place where they've made adjustments in their maturity. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? And so there's nothing more frustrating than to put responsibility on a volunteer. See, even if you don't have volunteers, even at, at work, when you have people who work with you or around you, even though they're getting a paycheck, some people treat their job like they're volunteers. They, they'll wait around to, for instruction. They'll, they'll let you know, well, I'm just trying to help you out. No, you get paid to produce a result, not to help me out. So your responsibility, and what you have to be careful of, is a lot of times people from their uh, jobs, they are expecting what they should be getting at home. In other words, they want some level of emotional support from their job. And there is, the, the, the job is a contractual arrangement. You do X, you get Y, and that's the end of it. Your emotional support is the signature at the bottom of your paycheck. No, listen, I, I want you to understand it because people want, you know, particularly uh, uh, those that are, you know, married couples and things like that. The husband wants what the wife should give him from his job. And the wife wants what her husband should give her from the job because she's not getting it at home or he's not getting it at home. And so now they find themselves easily offended because nobody thanked them for doing their job. When, when you look at the bottom of your check, thank you. That's what that signature says. It says thank you. And so we have to realize that as Jesus is dealing with the different types of individuals, he's saying things that they should be hearing and they should be connecting with it and saying, okay, he's telling us this is a spiritual discussion. But yet he's talking about I got to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they're like, we're not doing that. You done gone a little too far. And he's detecting that they're murmuring and complaining. But see, what is happening is he's allowing the adversity and the, uh, the attack against their mind to reveal their heart so they can walk away. Because you can't do anything with punk wood. You can't build with people who are easily offended. You can't build with people who are not serious. You can't build with people who are not committed. You have to have those that are going to sit. And so here we see the 12 uh, stuck around. And I have to say that, you know, from our perspective, we have a New Testament looking back hindsight perspective where we know when he said to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he didn't mean cannibalism. He meant communion. Right. We have the luxury of understanding that because we are where we are. But can you imagine them? So it doesn't necessarily concern me with as much as the people who walked away. What kind of concerns me is the people who stayed. Because now you have to think to yourself, what in the world? How could you be so committed that he might be telling you you're going to have to eat his flesh and drink his blood and you still going to stick around to figure out what this might look like? So verse 67. Then Jesus said unto the... 12. We started with 70. And now we're down to 
will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure. Now, I love how he says, we believe and we are sure. Uh, <clears throat> oftentimes, people who are involved in your business, in your church, may not be believers and they may not be sure. And I can tell you this, you cannot bring people close to you that are not sure. See, even as a lot of our, our ministries are building and, and adding people, uh, I'm trying to teach you as leaders, number one, what to look for, and as those that are following, what to do. Because sometimes, people, well, I've been here a long time and no one's ever promoted me. That's because your attitude stinks. You're not dependable. Well, that's a little harsh. Well, it's true. Make the adjustment and let's go on with it. This Leadership Wednesday, right? And so nobody wants to work with people whose attitude stinks. Nobody wants to work with people who are not sure. Why would we ransom our lives when we're sure to work with people who are not sure? So when you are absolutely convinced you are sure and you are believing, because one of the things I want you to understand is people have to have faith. You've got to have faith for whatever it is you are supposed to do. The pastor has a responsibility to have faith for the whole thing, but not for every single detail. If you are running uh, the kids department, you are supposed to have faith to produce whatever is needed in that kids department. If you are working in the usher department, your responsibility as a leader is to have the faith to produce, not just your hands, but you've got to have the heart and the faith to execute in a way that's consistent with what the leader wants. I can't put my faith on every single little detail. I've got to have my faith on bringing. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? And a lot of times people get into leadership and they exactly like, well, I'm just helping you out. I'm just filling a space. Well, you don't believe. And you're not sure. Because if you believe, remember, believe is faith in action. I can teach something else if you want. I really could. So to put your faith in action means you not only bring your hands, but you bring a supply of your faith that says, okay, I think this is what we need. I'm going to believe God to see this come to pass. Now, we may have a budget. We may not have a budget. All that stuff is, is, is in the details. But the truth of the matter is God always provides for purpose. He doesn't just provide for attitude. He doesn't provide because you want it. He provides because there's a purpose. And when we understand how we are to believe and to be sure, then we understand what the purpose is. We understand what we're doing. When you work for somebody as an employee, you're bringing not just hands, you're bringing your faith. If you can't figure it out, figure it out. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, except when you work. Come on, somebody. And this is the problem with the body of Christ. This is why no one turns to us to ask us for answers. When you got somebody like Joseph in the midst of your court, and all of a sudden you realize Joseph's got some answers. Why? Because greater is he that is in him. 
that he is in the world. Now, Joseph has come with answers. All of a sudden, people will step over all the secular folks to find a one God-filled person and say, hey, tell me what's going on. And now you have opportunity to advance. But if you are so lazy, you don't want to step up and do the things that God has called you to do and to be a voice in the midst of a season where everything is going to hell. People should be coming to the church asking them, hey, what should we do? How do we handle this? You ought to be able to pray. Say, Lord, tell me how to solve this problem. Show this world that I'm a Joseph. Show this world that the anointing is on my shoulders. Why? Because I believe and I am sure. And now you begin to distinguish yourself from the 70. And you separate yourself from the 58 who will walk away easily. Because it says, we are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, what else are we going to do? Where else are we going to go? We know this is where we belong. We know this is what we're called to do. We know this is the place where we're supposed to be. It never fails to amaze me or never ceases to amaze me how many times people will say, Pastor, you know, we love our church. You know, people do testimonies. Talking about how great our church is and gone in a week. You wasn't sure. And because you wasn't sure, you weren't connected. And because you weren't connected, then the first thing you want to say, well, pastor didn't check on me when I had the sniffles. Nobody knows you. You are not connected. So why do we have to figure out what's going on with you? If I have to come and find a way to find you, why do you not have to have a way to find me? Because you know where I am. But see, that's the 58. That's the outer core. Those are the ones on the fringes that are always so close to the end. And this is why you can't date somebody on the fringe. Well, you know, God will work on them. No, God won't work on them. <laughs> because God's already been working on them. And, and, and so you're dating somebody on a friend. You're constantly fighting over stuff that don't even make any kind of sense. You're like, why, why would this be an issue? Going to church is, is what we do. Are you understanding what I'm the basics things of, of, of Christianity and belief? And when you find someone who's disconnected, they're on the fringe. They're not sure, and they don't. So you know what happens? They leave when something is done or said. In terms of relationship, of course, unless you've had sex with them. Then they stay around for a long-term assignment. <laughs> Never mind. I can already see y'all, some of y'all glazing over. <clears throat> and so the challenge is that when you deal with people on the fringes, everything's through their life. So everything is filtered through the idea of them. Well, you know... Uh, we need to do thus and so. Well, you know, I got this going on that night, so I can't make it. It's not we need you. It's not the body of Christ needs you. It's not I'm coming to bring a supply. It's, well, if I don't have nothing better to do, I'll go to church. Or, here, or here's, a, here's a great one. I'll go to church as long as we're dating, but as soon as we get serious and I got you hooked, I'm done. And now they're sitting at home watching football games. 
Leadership. And you ought to be smart enough to pick up on the signs early and, and just drop it. Because you know when people are vested and interested. It's like when you have a conversation with somebody, you know they're not listening to you. How do you know they're not listening to you? Because their responses are delayed. They're not lockstepping with you. They're not moving with you. It's the same thing with the outer core. They're not moving with you. They're not moving with us. They know. They're working on something else. Whatever is important to them, they don't tie their give because their stuff's more important. And this is why he said in Haggai, he said, listen, all this belongs to me. All silver, all the gold belongs to me. So what does that tell you? Whatever you have, God allows you to have. So for you to put any of that stuff above him, this is why Malachi says, you collected money, but I blew on it. He says, you put it in your pocket, but your pocket got holes in it. In other words, there's never going to be enough. Why? Because God is not the priority. He doesn't want all of your money. He just wants to be first. It's a matter of order, not amounts. And people, they, 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 they misconstrue that. But because it's all filtered through them, they stay on the fringe. Then you have what is called the core. And that's your uh, MOH. That's the ministry of helps. Those are the people that are the 12. He went from 70 to 12. And those 12 were committed. Those were the people where he said, are y'all leaving too? He said, no. He said, we're, 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 we're sure. He goes, where else in the world could we go? He says, we've learned to believe and trust. And more so, we've come to know surely that you are the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. These are individuals that have now become, they're committed and they are loyal. They go over and above. They have a servant's heart. They're, they're the people that are satisfied with what God is having them to do. When you see somebody who's always striving for something else, they're not satisfied. There's a point where you become satisfied with what God is doing in your life. I'm not talking about complacent. I'm talking about satisfied. In other words, if God put me here to do this for the rest of my life, and that was his assignment for me, I am completely satisfied. A lot of people struggle with that place because what happens is they, they really have a vision of where they think they're going and they don't realize their character is not in a position to keep them where they're trying to go. See, the anointing is one thing and character is another. The Bible says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him in front of great men. Uh, the Bible says that a man's gift will see to it that he will not serve under men of low rank. Uh, there, there's many different things it says about a person's gift. See, the, the anointing is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's something that God has just given you. The problem is that the anointing will open doors for you that your character had better keep you in. And when you, your character doesn't develop as fast as your anointing, then you will find yourself in dangerous places and not know what it is you're dealing with. You'll find yourself starting things that just don't seem to pan the way they're supposed to. Uh, and then, you, of course, you blame it on the people. Uh, even when we have ministries here that are working in various areas, if a leader starts blaming the people, I start looking cross-eyed at the leader. Because attitude reflects leadership. 
So, <laughs> when uh, you ever wonder, I, I read this article about Starbucks. And there's a few companies that were in this article that were mentioned. Um, one of them was Starbucks. The other was um, uh, Chick-fil-A and then um, the burger joint, In-N-Out. And they were talking about the idea um, that you wonder if people at Starbucks are getting high off their own supply. <laughs> I mean, you really do. If you've been to Starbucks, you know that you're like, they must drink coffee all day, air day. Because they be on 10 all the time. We was in... We, we would ride our bikes to Starbucks when we lived in our old house because Starbucks was about two miles away. So we'd ride our bikes there and then we'd have our morning meeting and we'd drive back or, or drive. We'd ride our bikes back. And so there's this lady there and she would, uh, her voice was just got to be the most annoying. <laughs> and she would go, triple mocha latte for Jerry. <laughs> we was like, oh my God, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> <clears throat> And so the article talked about how most people wondered how they trained people to be so vibrant or bubbly or nice and whether or not it was the coffee. And what they were talking about is you don't train people to be nice. You hire nice And so <clears throat> the reason why this becomes important is because I have spent way too much time in my life trying to move outer core people to inner core people. I've seen people in relationships, men and women, who have spent way too much time trying to convert an outer core person to an inner core person. Let me put it into language you can understand to take a scrub <laughs> and try to turn them into I don't have that type of time I, I've, I, I've learned as I've gotten a little older and smarter that it's better not to try to keep turning bums into winners and just find winners because winners are the inner core people. Winners, they, they are committed. Winners are connected. You don't have to spend all your time trying to convince somebody to be a winner. When you have a winner, you can press a button in them and they'll automatically respond because they're like, wait a minute. I don't, I'm not used to losing. I'm, I'm a winner. So we, we go win. This, this is where, and, and there, there's a concept called the bozo strategy, believe it or not. Legit. Look it up. And the bozo strategy is this. When you hire B players, B players are intimidated, so they'll only recruit C players. So, so Bs will always create Cs. This, which is why you don't want outer core. Because what's lower than outer core? If they're quick enough to be offended then they're going to produce offended people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then, 
as you have your inner core of people, look at Matthew 17, verse 1. Because your outer core, they're going to go above and beyond, right? They're going, to, they're going to be the people who will take it to the next level. They'll take it to the next step for you. And I don't mean that they will, uh, they'll take initiative and not liberty. See, initiative is when they have your heart and they operate within your heart. See, when you, when you have people that work with you, that you have, you, you know, in ministry, uh, wherever the case may be, some people will begin to pick up your heart. And when they pick up your heart, they will operate with initiative within what you want. They'll know pastor's not going to like that. They know uh, uh, Austin, who's over ushers, Austin's not going to like that. So we're not even going to do that. So they see, so they begin to police themselves. And, and as they police themselves, the effect means that the quality rises because they're the type of people that understand initiative. Liberty is folks that see an opportunity for themselves and take it. Whether it's within what you want or not because they don't care. This is why when Paul said, I have no one like-minded or I have no one equal souled. In other words, he said, when I send Timothy to you, I'll be rest assured once Timothy gets there. Not, not when I hear a report, but once he shows up. He don't even have to tell me anything. I, I know if he gets there, I completely trust that Timothy will do what I've asked him to do in line with what I need him to do, whether I'm standing over his shoulder or not. Some people, you have to literally stand over their shoulder. <laughs> are, are you? <laughs> and that shows you they're outer core people. They ain't in. Because if they're in, they're going to produce the result that is necessary because they are part of the committed uh, group of people. Matthew 17, 1. It says, In six days after Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as light. Now, I want you to watch what happens here. He literally took these three people, uh, James, John, and Peter, everywhere. Now, <clears throat> the reason why this becomes important is because out of the 12 came three. The outer core, the inner core, or the core and the, or inner core, the core and the inner core, I'm sorry. So you now have people who come from the outside in into your life. If you've got 50 people that are on the inside of your life, you are setting yourself up for betrayal. This is why when you first come to church, people start making friends in church. And, and I hate to say this, but it, it's so true. You can't be friends with everybody. Because not everybody is inner core material. Why would he have 12 disciples but only take three everywhere he went? Because those three understood him in a way that the 12 didn't. It didn't diminish the value of the 12. He still trained them. He still invested in them. He still walked with them. But when he got into situations that required uh, a little more, how do I say it, discretion. Look at Mark 5, verse 37. Good. Good. 
It says, and he suffered no man. Put in the NLT, please. Then Jesus stopped the outer core and wouldn't let anyone go with him except the inner core. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Keep going. When they came to the home of synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion, weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. <laughs> See, put it back in the King James, please. When you are dealing with outer people, everything you say is funny. Everything you say is nonsense. It's, it's not, it's in no way, shape, or form serious to them. And so here he says, they laughed him, but when he had put them all out, See, if you're not careful, even in your personal life, because this is not just about business, not just about church, but if you got people in your life that are naysayers and they're close to you, notice he didn't do it in front of them. If you're going to attack me, if you're going to laugh at me, get out. And a lot of Christians have a hard time, you know, they think, well, you're a doormat. I'm just being a good Christian. I'm tolerating everybody. No, we're not going to tolerate everybody. We're just not going to tolerate everybody. Some people, I, I, can't, you know, we, I can't do you. And, and when you're new to Christianity, you kind of think, well, everybody's my friend because they're all in church. No, can I help you? That's like, that's like going into a hospital and jumping in every hospital bed you can find with somebody. You don't know what they got. They hear. That's literally like you walking in a hospital and going, hmm, room 201, let me go in there. You don't know what's going on in there. You don't know what kind of communicable disease that person has. Now, I'm not talking about being mean, but what I'm trying to get you to understand is you can't open yourself up to everybody until you know where they are. Are they outer core people? Are they core people? Are they inner core people? You got to go through some things with me. I, I need some experience with you. I got to watch how you respond because if the first time I don't deal with you the way you think I should and you go off the handle because you're offended, then you are not an inner core person and I don't want to have much to do with you because you don't know how to play nice in the sandbox. We can be brothers and sisters. I can bless you. I can help you. Whatever you need. But I, some people you got to introduce to the drum technique. You got to stay a certain place from me because I have to protect me. I don't have to be open to everybody and call myself a good Christian. I don't have to be a doormat. Jesus put him out. Well, I wasn't very Christ-like. Get out. I remember one time years ago. Jesus was my Lord, but he wasn't my Savior. <laughs> and uh, I had picked up some friends of mine. We were driving. And the dude in the back, he's a friend of a friend. And so we're all talking, right? And again, Jesus was my Savior. He just wasn't my Lord. He wasn't commanding my life. And so <laughs> we get to talking. And this dude, we're about maybe two blocks from where I picked him up at. 
And uh, he starts saying he don't believe in God. Man, I pulled over. I said, you got to get out. He says, you're playing, right? I said, no, you got to go. Now, let me explain something to you. I wasn't a pastor. But see, I just grew up learning that you just don't play with God. Right? I was one of those people that I might not serve the Lord, but you ain't going to play with it neither. I need you to believe in something. I don't care what you believe in, but I need you to believe in something because I can't be around no folks that don't believe. I just, I, and so I put them out. Well, it doesn't sound very nice. Of course it does because I'm not going to put up with people. You're not going to be in my space and not be a believer. You're not going to be in my house and not be a believer. You're not going to be in my company. Particularly not real close to me. If you have a unique skill, you might sit outer core. But you will never be somebody that I consult with. Because I don't sit with the, with the sinners. I don't sit with the scornful. I don't walk with in the counsel of the ungodly. Because, you know, because when they're close to the fringes, Satan can pull their cord real fast. Well, pastor, she got saved. Uh, listen, <laughs> how long ago? <laughs> well, she just got saved. Oh, okay. Well, you do understand that she's real close to the edge. Y'all remember a little story I told y'all about the little boy who was in bed? His mother tucked him in, and she left and heard this huge thud. She comes in, turns the light on, opens the door, turns the light on. Here he is laying on the floor. So she helped him up. She put him back in the bed, tucked him back in. She walked out, set the light off, closed the door. Next thing you know, she hears a huge thud again. She comes back in. He's back on the floor. She says, what is going on? He says, I don't know, Mama. I guess I just stayed too close to where I got in. See, <laughs> he put him out. Why did he put him out? Because they're laughing at him. You don't need that kind of negativity in your life. So notice what he says. After you put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him. Who was with him? The three. Why did he take the mother and father? Because they're the ones that had authority. And they want their child alive. See, you have to understand, Peter, James, and John, the three of them, went everywhere. And people don't realize, because they think, because I'm in, they think they should have the same right as other people who are in. And they think, oh, well, maybe those are the pastor's pet, or maybe that's, you know, the boss's pet. Uh, no, usually what happens is a person in leadership has learned through time who they can depend on. They've learned through time that when they get into a clutch, who can they send an order to that's going to respond immediately and not ask them 50 million questions? When bullets are flying, we don't have time for, for all the nonsense. And so as a leader begins to work with different people, they begin to learn these people, when all hell has broken loose, this is the person I'm going to call. Well, pastor, you know, let me know if I can pray for you. Why? You can't pray for yourself. You've got no results of your prayer life. 
But you're going to ask me, can you pray for me? The kind of devils I'm fighting, I need some people to know how to get a hold of God. <laughs> I'm not playing tiddlywinks. Oh, I, you know, I just, I, I thought, I, you know, you want to help me? Go get a broom. Go get the vacuum cleaner. Start there. I'm not trying to be mean, y'all. I'm trying to help you to understand leadership. Because these are things nobody really talks about. And, and it's real. This, these are real things. Because he had to put them out. They're not, they're not core people. They're not even intercore people. These people don't believe. They ain't sure. And you got to go. It's just as simple as that. He taketh the father and mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. He took the damsel by the hand, said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say to you, get up. Do you understand that we see now three people who really saw everything Jesus did? They were the ones that were the closest to him. They were the ones that saw all the miracles. I mean, you understand the core people saw, you know, great things. Don't get me wrong. They traveled with him. They went places with him. They were there in certain meetings. But there was three that were completely sold out. They weren't perfect. Nobody could call Peter perfect. Peter seemed like he had a job, which was to chew shoe leather, which is open mouth insert foot. Didn't he? So he wasn't perfect. Come on, y'all. I need you to see this. Because people think, well, I just, I'm not perfect. It had nothing to do with being perfect. It had to do with being committed. And, and people, you can tell who's really committed and who is surfing a check. You can tell who are paycheck takers and those who are difference makers. Paycheck takers will only go, but so far. <laughs> they have their own little line they've created. I'll go this far, but that's about it. They'll draw their line in the sand. Where difference makers, they're like, hey, listen. There have been times where I've called him literally almost in the middle of the night and said, we got to do this or there's something that's going on, and he will jump to the occasion. Then people wonder, well, well, okay, why is he's, it, it, he ain't perfect. He's committed. And he's committed when it ain't convenient. Because some people are committed when it's convenient. <laughs> there were, does anybody know how many people were in the upper room? In the book of Acts? 120. Do you know how many people saw Jesus resurrected? 500. Can I ask you a question? What happened? 500 people saw it with their own eyes. But only 120 was tearing in the upper room. Waiting. 500. With their own eyes. Not heard about it. They saw it with their own eyes. But only 120 were praying and tearing in the upper room, waiting for the promise. See, so remember we, last week, in the week before, we were talking about many are called, but few are chosen. 
Because only a few people will be able to stay with it when it's not convenient. Only a few people will be able to stay with it when they don't see it right away. You do understand that if I knew a man was dead and saw him back again, I'd be sticking around. I'd just sheer nosiness. I'd be like, I'm going to hang out around here and see what's really going on because this dude was dead. And now he's alive and I'm watching it with my own eyes. Yeah, something happening here. Hey, uh, job? Yeah, I quit. I ain't coming back for a while. So then my question becomes, if 500 saw it, how did only 120 show up? See, the three, the smaller inner core people, they got to see and to know things that everybody didn't see and know. And it was because of how they handled things they were on the inside. And a lot of times people want to be on the inside, but they don't know what it costs. When people ask me, what does it cost to serve God? You know what I tell them? Everything. Everything. When they ask me, does it get better? You know what I tell them? No. You get better at handling it. You get better at shouldering the weight. You get better, but it don't get better. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and if you can't... <laughs> let, let me... Let me Look at uh, look at Jeremiah twelve. Can you put in the NIV, please? Jeremiah twelve, verse five. If you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out. How can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Which in those times, the thickets by the Jordan were often known to be a place where lions would hide to catch their prey. He said, if you can't run with the footmen, how are you going to run with the horses? If you can't make it in safe times, do you really think that in the midst, I have been in so many situations where demonic manifestations have occurred, where people literally have manifested right before my very eyes. You think I can have people around me that you freak out because you got a hangnail? If you can't run with the footmen, how are you going to run with the horses? If you can't get simple stuff straight, how are you going to run with the dogs when we, we got to go and go to battle? We're we not playing. This ain't tiddlywinks. They're, this is a serious business that we have to handle, that we are responsible for. And so what people don't understand is they want to run with horses, but they get winded running with... They want to be the ones counted on in perilous times. But they can't handle complete safety. <laughs> okay. Y'all still all right? Okay, so let me talk to you about 
the people who influence your life, okay? There are people who influence your life. And the truth of the matter is the highest level is, are people that are considered confidants. Um, mentors would fit into this category, confidants, people that you can trust. And they are there for three reasons. And I'm going to tell you what the three reasons are. They're there to help you design your life, to develop your gift, and to disturb your complacency. If you are blessed enough to have two, three of these people in your life, you are a, I'm talking about your entire life, you are a very fortunate individual. Because not everybody can be your confidant. One of the things, uh, I love uh, Prince, the, the deceased pop artist Prince, said, a confidant is never on your payroll. Because, see, people on your payroll are paid to say, <laughs> but a true confidant is there for a particular reason. And they're there for these three reasons I just told you. To help you design your life. In other words, to help you go in the, in the future of what you are doing so that you can make good, healthy decisions. The second thing is to develop your gift. You know, one of the things that I think is so interesting to me is how people have gifts and don't know the real gift that they have. They think they do. But because they're in it, they see it. You ever, you ever have somebody explain something to you that you're experiencing and you see it from a whole different perspective? You're like, wow, I didn't even catch that. You want to know why? Because you're in it. Can't see the forest for the trees. And so a person who operates in that level in your life is somebody who's not in it. They're outside of it telling you how to get there and what's going to benefit you when you get there I was fishing when I first moved to Arizona I was out fishing at Lake Pleasant which I am very frustrated with Lake Pleasant <laughs> still to this day and that was 20 years ago but here's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna get Austin on a boat with me because he seems to have success he gonna teach me some things because that's gonna happen watch because I, I gotta learn but anyway so I'm out there fishing I'm on the side, and I'm out there fishing. And I'm used to deep sea fishing, and I'm used to ocean fishing. So, you know, off the pier in the ocean or deep sea stuff, I mean, I have, it's a whole different type of fishing. So this guy is, is, is just a little further down from me, and he's watching me. And, I'm, and I got this pole that's probably from here to him, <laughs> deep sea pole. I got these weights that are like this big. So, I'm, I mean, I'm getting it, right? I'm out there. I'm trying to figure it out. And every time I throw it out there, my line gets caught, and I'm cutting it and having to re-rig it and whole nine yards. And the guy walks over to me, and he says, you're not used to freshwater fishing, are you? I said, no, sir. He goes, first of all, he goes, that pole's so big. If a fish hit it, you wouldn't even feel it. He says, second of all, these weights you're using are deep sea weights. They're made for, for currents and oceans and things like that. He goes, you need these small, these little things. I'm thinking, what am I going to do with these little, look like peas. So he literally gave me a bunch of stuff. And he said, this is what you need. And so, now I still didn't catch nothing. <laughs> nothing but attitude. <laughs> but I remember realizing to myself, there's a way this is supposed to be done. So now, 
I went to Bartlett, and I went and bought all the stuff he showed me, and I, I was pulling them out of Bartlett. That was the spot for me. Lake Pleasant, still to this day, 20 years later. But we're going we gonna to get on, my confession is we're going to get on top of that. Because <laughs> I'm the fish whisperer. But anyway, <laughs> what I want you to understand is the way I was doing it was wrong. And there was no way I was going to produce any results doing it the way I was doing it. When you have a confidant and a mentor, people who are really close to you, they're designed to help you to see where you're missing it. And if you're not careful, if you're one that gets offended easily, you will understand why they're there. They're there to tell you, you know what, you need smaller hooks. You need to get these huge weights. You need a small, you need a different rod. You need, these are the, the equipment that you need. This is why when, when God told uh, Elijah, he said, when you see Elisha, he said, throw your mantle on him. And then he said, teach him to be a prophet in thy room. In other words, teach him how to function in the room you're in with the equipment you have so that he can understand how to use a fax machine, how to use a computer, how to use the equipment that's in the room so that when he steps into the same office you step into or similar, he'll know how to function and act. So many people don't understand. You're, you're, the people that are closest to you are not supposed to be people that just agree with everything. Especially if they're above you as a mentor. These are people that are designed to help you develop your gift and to teach you this is the way things work. And then the third thing they're supposed to do is to disturb your complacency. And I'm telling you, the first two are great, but without the third one, See, when, when people want to challenge you beyond your own limits, a lot of people get offended. I just can't do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. I won't do it. Well, then you stay stuck. But when you're around somebody who's going to challenge, listen, there are many things that Reverend Ricky has told me to do that I did not want to do. I didn't like the idea of doing it. I couldn't stand it when he said it. I was mad I called him. My, my wife will tell you, but I do it anyway. Because to get me out of my complacency, see, most people are so enamored with comfort that they'll never walk in anointing. You can't be a person who loves comfort more than a call. Because you will stay where you are all the time and never grow. The second one, is your constituents, your clique, the people you, you know, the, the core people. A lot of times core people, although they're committed, they are not committed per se to you. They're committed to what you stand for. I'll say it this way. A lot of people, when they voted in any election, they will vote along the party line, no matter how demonic it may be. They're constituents. They, they just, uh, this is what I am. I was raised this way. My mom was this. My parents were this. You know, and this is what I do. So they don't necessarily like the person. They love the party. They love what they stand for. So they're not for you. 
They just favor what you favor. They like what you like. (laughs) So they'll come along with you as long as you like what they like. The problem is the moment you don't like what they like. And these people, a lot of times, are always looking for the BBD, the bigger and better deal. If someone comes along, offers them more money, they're gone. If somebody comes along and pays them more attention, they're gone. If somebody, uh, you know, gives them what they want and still can accomplish the cause that they're after, they're gone. And you have to be careful with those types of people because, again, they tend to come into the core because they're sold out to what you stand for, but they're not sold out for you. And, and I've, I've had people that you have to be very careful of people who don't respect and honor you. No matter what levels the organization is, if you are heading up praise and worship, you're heading up the ushers, if you're heading up the sound, and people don't respect you, but they'll respect me, that's something you got to watch. Because if I have to come tell you to do something that your leader can't tell you to do, you're operating in the spirit of Jezebel. Well, I don't want to hear what they have to say. You tell me what Pastor Gene and Shana said. If they said it, then okay, Jezebel, we got it. Because what you have done is you have disregarded the order in which we have chosen, which is a slap in our face. That's what happened with Moses when uh, Miriam and Aaron came and they said, you know, we don't like the fact that you married this little black girl. It's basically what it was. And... They said, we don't really like this. And so he said, or God called them out and said, if you hear anything from me, you see it darkly. He said, it's not so for Moses. I speak to him mouth to mouth. To you, I speak to you darkly in visions and, and dreams. How dare you come against him? And then he says to her, it's almost as if you have spit in my face. Why? Because she didn't like Moses' choice? Yes. God's like, you mean to tell me I got to come down here and talk to you? I didn't give you a leader. I put my anointing on. I talked to him. But you're telling me I got to come talk to you personally? Because you can't hear what comes through? It's the spirit of Jezebel. (laughs) I got two minutes. Thank you, Jesus. The last one, or the third one, rather, not the last one, the third one. This is the outer core, people. These are the posers. They're not for you. They're not even for what you believe. They just hate what you hate. And these are people that group together when something goes wrong. This is how church splits happen, where a church will split and follow a a certain leader. And it's because the leader's mad, and they're mad about the same thing. The problem is, when they follow that leader, they will turn on that leader the same way they just, because they ain't for you. They're not even for what you're for. They just hate what you hate. They need an enemy. And as long as, and once there's no enemy anymore, 
You're like, well, I don't know why we're doing this. <laughs> this is why, for example, when uh, uh, Dad was here, and he was talking about how he puts people on his board that likes him. And everybody's like, well, all you have on your board are people that like you. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they're for me. And they know that if I have a vision, they want that vision to come to pass, but they want me to win. So you have to be careful because some, some of y'all, you, you're too friendly with all kinds of people. I was one of those people where with, if a friend came with a friend, I was like, yeah, I got to watch that person. They ain't been vetted yet to be close enough to me. Don't show up in my house with people that wasn't invited. I will leave you out there. <laughs> one time. We had this thing at our house. I think it was like for Thanksgiving or one of the holidays or whatever. And one of our family members brought this girl with her that was not a family member. And I mean, she's like, can I get the password to your Wi-Fi? I'm like, no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> what you mean? I said, hold on. I'm a, you know, I'm a tech guy, right? I went and created a whole new <laughs> Wi-Fi thing and gave it to the area. That's you. Just for you. Because as soon as you leave out of here, delete. <laughs> Just, you understand? Listen, because my world is different. And... You can't surround yourself. when you, This is one of the things that people struggle with when they come into Christianity, especially when you come all the way in. Once you get all the way in, you begin to realize everybody around you wasn't for you. If they were, they'd come to church with you. See, y'all was thick as thieves when y'all was up in the... Girl, you gonna call? I'll call you, girl. We gonna... We gonna child... Want to come to church with me? <laughs> cricket, cricket. <laughs> Let me introduce you to Tony. Dial tone, click. What happened? I thought, I thought we was... Mm. No, we not. <laughs> See, you begin to realize where people sit in your life, and you have to then realize the closer you get to God, some people just got to go. Then you have frenemies. Like Judas. <laughs> Frenemies, they're not for what you're for. They ain't even for you. They don't even hate what you hate. They just don't want you to win. Wow. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> 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 Let me come over to this side. Oh, Lord. <laughs> they don't want you to win. Period. It don't matter. They just hating. They literally doesn't matter what it is. You tell a story, they got one better. Yeah. I remember one time I, I stubbed my toe in the middle of the night. Yeah, well, I cut my whole foot off. <laughs> and sewed it back on and walked to the hospital uphill both ways. You'd be like, you know that didn't happen, right? You're a lie. Your feet stink. You don't love Jesus. Why would you even tell that story? But they just don't want you to win. And, and <clears throat> see, when I was younger, um, we used to go crabbing. And I loved, I mean, that was one of my favorite things to do 
with my grandfather and my dad, we go crabbing, right? So we, we get this uh, a package of chicken feet, right? And you put them in a bucket, sit them outside for about a week. And I mean, they go. But see, crabs are, are, are bottom feeding. Uh, they eat decaying flesh. I mean, that's just what crabs do. So then what you would do is you'd take a chicken foot and you would tie it to a string and you would throw it out and just drag it across the seafloor. And when you would drag it, they would grab a hold of it. And when they grab a hold, they won't let go. Literally, you shake them, they will not let go. And matter of fact, there are times where, if you know anything about crabs, if they get into danger, instead of just letting go, they'll literally drop an arm. The whole arm will just disconnect from their body and it'll take off. Y'all getting a picture of this yet? Okay, good. So <clears throat> what you learn is that you can have a, a, a bucket and put a crab in it. And if that bucket is more than about 10 inches, that crab will stay. But you can actually put them in a bucket that's about 6 inches and they will stay as long as there's another crab in there. If you have one, he'll climb out. If you have two, he will not climb out. The reason being is when he goes to climb out, the other crab will grab a hold of him and pull him back in. That's why I've ever heard the term crabs in a basket. <laughs> Some people just don't want you to win. They're crabs. They hold on to stuff. They won't let go, even to their own detriment. You know how they, they catch monkeys? <laughs> in, in the bush, this is how they find water. They'll, they'll put clumps of salt in a hole, like in a tree or in a rock or something, where the hole is just big enough for a monkey to stick his hand through there and grab a hold of the salt, the apple, whatever it may be. Once they grab a hold of it, they won't let it go. So the bushman can walk right up to them. They're yanking. And all they have to do is let go and pull their hand out and run away. So he'll literally, they're pulling, he'll walk right up to them, grab them, tie a rope around them, and then get the salt and feed it to them. With the salt, they get so thirsty that they'll run for water because they know where it is. So what he'll do is then he'll unleash them and they take off for water and he follows them and that's how he finds water. <laughs> See, usually frenemies, you know, people that are haters, they have something against you that they can't let go of. Half the time, it might not even be true. It's something they chose to believe. <laughs> and they hold on to it even at the expense of your relationship. Now, the whole point of all that is to say, most people's frustration in business, in ministry, in personal relationships comes from and stems from you placing the wrong people in the wrong category. 
trying to make a winner out of a loser. Trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Just doesn't work. You have to be able to determine where people are, where they fit, which category are they in. Watch them. If you remember how Jesus did it, he watched them. Everybody come with me. We're going to go do something. One of the fastest ways that I can see who people are is by watching how they do a project. A lot of times I'll do different things. You know, I might say, look, we're going to go look for some whatever. And I'll take a bunch of people with me. I'm watching. They don't know I'm watching, but I'm watching. Or I'll say, let's do this project. And I'm watching. I want to know who's doing what. I'll ask a report. Who showed up to help with that? Who showed up to do this? Who's doing that? I'm watching people. You want to know why? Because I'm sorting. (laughs) This one goes in that category. (laughs) This one goes in this category. If we would do a better job of watching, even from a relationship standpoint, dating is for data. Not for test drives. It's for data. It's to, it's to see. Are you an idiot? How do you deal with your mama? I need to see you around your family. I need to see you around your friends. I need to see what you're about. Do you have your own car? Do you have your own place? You living at home with your mama. What, what, what are we doing? I had a young man come to me one time. He wanted to date somebody who was a spiritual daughter to me. And I'm like, okay, but you have nothing. You don't have a car. What you going to do, have your mama drive you all to your dates? You don't have no, no apartment place of your own? You talking about wanting to get married at some point? Married for what? Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You know the saying, right? Romance without finance is a nuisance. See, you have to begin to put people in their appropriate categories and realize what, because otherwise you're going to be stressed out to the max (laughs) trying to figure out why this ain't this or this is not that. Shane will tell you, we don't promote nobody until we give them the responsibility and watch them. We'll give them the job before we give them the title. (laughs) Because you'll do the job regardless of the title, then you're really... See, winners win. <laughs> I don't care what environment you put them in, they win. You put them in situations with nothing, they will win. They'll find a way to get out, climb out, break a crab's claw if they have to. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you.